Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? <laughs> this presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight. We are broadcasting from Guaranteed Rate Field, and it is a gorgeous day here in the city of Chicago. Sun setting. It's, uh, you know, 5.30 on the clock, which means we're about two hours away from what would be a normal game here. And I, I got to tell you, I, looking out at the, the scene in front of me, the empty seats, the sun dappled left field, the shadows just closing over. I can, I can almost smell the grilled onions here at the ballpark. Uh, it might have been my dinner that I brought, uh, but I can almost smell it. The scene is absolutely perfect. I'm looking at Len and DJ in the booth down across from me, getting ready for the game tonight out in Anaheim. And it just reminds me that I cannot wait, absolutely cannot wait for the home opener here at Guaranteed Rate Field. It is going to be amazing to see as many of you here as will be here. I look forward, and I, I know I speak for everybody with the network, that I look forward to seeing as many people here as is uh, safely possible throughout the season. Can't wait to get things going on the home schedule for the White Sox in 2021. The road schedule has started out well enough, 1-1 one and one on the season. A really exciting game last night. White Sox won 12-8. Did fall 4-3 in the first one. Some defense a little uneasy, or I guess uneven maybe the way to say it, uh, but some breakout performances by a handful of Sox hitters, some really solid work by the White Sox bullpen. Lucas Giolito was good in the opener, too. Want to talk about all of it. Here's what we've got set for the show this evening. We're going to go right up until the pregame show. That's the White Sox and Angels starting at 8.07 this evening. Pre-game show starts at 7.30. White Sox Weekly is now two hours. You heard it in the open. So that means that we're going to take two hours up until every pregame show on Saturdays. You know, whether that's a night game or a day game, uh, which I don't think we have many day games on Saturday. But if they're earlier, we're going to do it earlier, too. Two hours leading up until the pregame show. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This show's for you. I mean, truly, it's for you. You want to talk White Sox? We're here to do that for you. Team's been a blast to watch in the first two games, especially last night. Your mean Mercedes went 5-for-5 five five in his first Major League start. He's the first ball player to do that since Cecil Travis of the Washington franchise. I believe they were the Senators then in 1933. That's a, that's a long darn time. Uh, and it was one heck of a night for your mean highlights all over the place. You'll hear from your mean Mercedes a little bit later on in the show. Michael Kopech made his return to the mound for the first time since 2018. One of the biggest arms in the Sox system was out there and throwing, throwing hard too. Hit 98, 99, had a slider that looked good. Two plus clean innings for Kopech. He struck out three, uh, scoreless innings, I should say. He did walk Mike Trout. Uh, he was being a little careful with the league's best hitter. We're going to talk with Rick Hahn coming up at 545. White Sox general manager is our first guest on the two-hour version of White Sox Weekly. Excited about that. Jason Benetti is going to join us at 630. Uh, and I believe I mentioned you'll hear from Michael Kopech. If I didn't, I've done it now. Len Casper 
is all season long, he and DJ are splitting a feature during the game. If you've not had a chance to catch it or maybe you missed it, kind of scrolling back and forth between whatever, we understand. Ask Len and Ask DJ are on Twitter. They're hot. They're sensations. I mean, if you go to your trending topics in Chicago, they're like one and two every single night, I promise. But it's a cool way for you to get involved with the broadcast. you got a question for Len, hit us on an Ask Len night. you got a question for DJ, hit us on an Ask DJ night. And we bring those questions to the fellas and talk about them during the game. On Saturdays, though, it's a little bit different. We're trying this out for the first time here on White Sox Weekly. Here's our plan. All week long, you get a chance to ask questions of Len and DJ. On Saturdays, Len's going to ask you a question. DJ might as well, but today Len's asking you a question. So at 6 o'clock, tune in for our very first Len Asks You on White Sox Weekly. I don't know what the question he asked is. I have no idea. Ryan McGuire and and he have set it up through the miracle of technology that is. uh, It's all set and ready to roll. I have no idea what question Len is asking, but he will ask it at 6 We will react and take your phone calls answering Len Casper's question for you. Rick Hahn's coming up in just a couple of minutes, and I want to get to him uh, a little bit earlier than normal, but I also want to get to this. Um, If you've caught White Sox Weekly over the last month, you've noticed that we've been going around the American League Central and talking to some real prominent voices who cover the Royals, Rex Hudler and the Indians and Tom Hamilton and the Twins with Corey Provis and... We wanted to do a scouting report on each one of those teams, and they're great. If you feel like it, go back to the podcast, use the ESPN Chicago app, and, and listen to some of those segments when you know the Royals are, are the White Sox opponent. It's really cool, informative stuff um, if you're kind of forgetting what the ball club did, what the Royals did over the offseason, if you want. But I made sure to ask each one of those fellas what they thought of the White Sox heading in to 2020. Tyler Aki was our producer this last month, and he took the initiative and put together a little special something for you. So I'll play this for you now before we get to Rick Hahn on the other side. Here is a White Sox weekly version of the Sox Supercut. Tonight, the Chicago White Sox open their 121st season in the American League. It is opening night 21 from Angels Stadium. We figured we'd call Tim Kirchin of ESPN. Well, they're the best team in the Central, and they're going to the playoffs. I'm pretty sure about that. Abreu with a drive out the other way. It is back, and it is gone! That's a grand slam! There is no better man to talk to about the Kansas City Royals than Rex Hudler. The White Sox look like a perennial contender. A lot like the New York Yankees. The sky's the limit. If they stay healthy, they are going to be dominant. Long run over for Moncada, and he's got it on top of the tarp. Tom Hamilton, longtime play-by-play man for Cleveland Indians Radio. I wish it wasn't as good a team as it is. They have some really bright young stars. We all know that. Anderson with a fly ball, deep right center on the track as Trotty leaps. It's a home run. Matt Shepard, Paul's games for the Tigers on Fox Sports Detroit. He joins us now. I don't see a weak spot really on their team. I really like their starting pitching. 3-2 to Trout. Swing and a miss. He got him. Corey Provis is our guest to preview those Minnesota Twins. They look like a World Series contender. I mean, they look like an awesome team. You kind of feel things change and then you can feel the fans getting excited. The goal is to win a World Series championship. And so if we fall short of that, it would be a disappointment. 
That man was Rick Hahn rounding out the Sox Supercut on White Sox Weekly. He's our next guest. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. The new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Our guest is White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate the chance to chat. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Connor. You got it. A, uh, let's start with the headlines, right? I mean, play the hits. The White Sox had a huge rookie debut last night. Of course, I'm talking about your mean Mercedes going five for five. Three of those hits in two strike counts, each one better than the last. I don't know if you were listening to Lennon DJ, but DJ called the hit before his first AB. I wonder if you were also feeling a big night for your mean Mercedes. You know, uh, it was exciting for, for all of us, but I think uh, in large part because we've been able to see how much your mean has been through uh, to get to this point and how much it meant to him. Uh, you know, I would get, was actually uh, with your mean when we informed him that he was making the opening day roster and uh, although he did have a short stint with the big league club last year, uh, just seeing the, the pure joy on his face is, is something that just never gets old. And, and everyone in White Sox Nation got to see it last night uh, grow with each successive hit over the course of his uh, pretty spectacular debut. So Mercedes is a minor league Rule 5 pickup for the White Sox. I was looking through his, his baseball reference page and saw that he tom- did some time in the Pecos League and crushed. On, do you, did you guys have reports on his Pecos League play? How, how deep does the scouting go yeah, on a we minor do, league Rule 5 guy? We do extensive guy? coverage of the Pecos League. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like very important portion of our coverage. No, in all, in all seriousness, uh, he deserves a world of credit for what he did in that league because that's often a place that guys go for sort of last resort and there's not much getting out of there, much less getting to the big league. So he put himself back on the map after getting released by Washington. Uh, Obviously, as you pointed out, dominated that level and wound up getting himself back in affiliated ball with Baltimore. And it was when he was with Baltimore in in A-ball that one of our former pro scouts, a guy by the name of John Taminia, uh, filed some prospect fringe prospect level reports on him and dan fabian our director of pro scouting uh who who coordinates the pro scouts for us uh, also asked doug lauman uh when he was off doing some winter ball coverage to lay eyes on him as well and between those two reports and some of the things that our analytics group pointed out uh, it seemed like a pretty pretty obvious choice for us in the minor league phase of the rule five which is the the lesser known and less expensive phase, and one that doesn't really carry any restrictions with where you assign the player. So uh, your mean joined us, picked up where he left off in A-ball, and then uh, continued to climb up the ladder and, and got himself on the 40-man and, and ultimately into the big leagues. I'm talking with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn here on White Sox Weekly. You guys did have Andrew Vaughn make his debut. It's funny. There were so many things in last night's game that kind of overshadowed the next, and yet each one is a giant headline for this franchise. When you guys put Andrew Vaughn in left field, when Tony has your mean Mercedes in the lineup, some of that is obviously Zach Collins, too. Some of that is all potentially because Aloy Jimenez isn't with the club. 
Is there, in some small way, Rick, um, a silver lining in that Tony has a chance to put some carrots out there for some of the young hitters that they can go earn even on a team that is competing for a, a division title? Yeah, I would definitely put it as a, as a small silver lining to the Aloy injury. Certainly, uh, you know, everyone's preference would be to have Aloy healthy and playing out in left field for us every day. But uh, his absence over the, the next several months is going to create opportunities. And, and you're absolutely right in that uh, the odds were against having both, uh, both your mean and Andrew in the same lineup if Aloy was healthy. So this is, a, this is a chance for your mean to show what he can do. Zach Collins obviously got some DH at-bats the first day. All three of those players are, are in the lineup tonight. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a chance to see uh, some of our higher-ceiling prospects hopefully take advantage of this opportunity here. You know, it, it's, it's, we, we, we talked a little bit about scouting as it pertains to your mean, and I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that this opening day roster of ours actually has six of our own former first round picks, you know, starting with Tim Anderson and going through uh, Garrett Crochet from last year. And it's exciting to see the, the fruits of our scouts and our player development uh, people's hard work over the last several years, uh, you know, bearing fruit here now. And uh, you don't want to see an injury ever. Uh, but, as you point out, there is a little silver lining in that some of these younger talents are getting the opportunity to, to showcase what they're capable of doing here over the next several months. Rick, when you guys make the call to try Andrew Vaughn in left field, can you walk White Sox fans through what that decision process looks like from, from the entire brain trust? Who gets consulted? What guy do you call that, that went from first to the outfield before? I mean, there are connections in Major League Baseball all over the place. I, I would imagine that there's someone that you reached out to that had a very similar transition. Well, keep in mind, this transition actually began last year. Uh, this was something that we had talked about, uh, knowing how we were going to line up, obviously, with the, the reigning MVP uh, returning to first base for us this year. Uh, we talked about different ways to potentially get Andrew's bat into the lineup, and, and one of those was on an outfield corner. Uh, so Chris Getz and Doug Sisson uh, out at the Schomburg alt site last year spent a decent amount of time with Andrew, putting him through drills and seeing what he was capable of doing out there. It wasn't obviously something that, that we publicized, but it was something we wanted to get a look at and at least have in, in our back pocket should, that, uh, should the roster permutation lead to that being the best route to getting them ABs. Now, obviously, you know, it's no secret the way we drew, originally drew this team up on paper, there wasn't going to be that type of opportunity for Andrew this year. But once Eloy got injured, you know, we in the, sat in our staff meeting with, with all of Tony's staff and the front office group and the player development group, and talked through what people had seen from Andrew and what they felt, uh, not only from an athleticism standpoint, but from a baseball IQ standpoint, and perhaps most importantly, from a makeup standpoint about whether a guy could handle uh, learning a new position and transitioning to the offensive expectations that come with being a big leaguer. And perhaps as talented as Andrew is on the field, perhaps his greatest trait is that makeup. And he certainly is someone that we feel is not only up to the task athletically and skill-wise, but has the mental toughness to, uh, 
to make it work. So, again, he we'll, we'll see how much he's out there. Today he's out there for the second night in a row, uh, and perhaps that will you know continue to be the trend over the next several weeks. But for now, it's a, a matter of getting his bat in the lineup and, and Tony sort of mixing and matching till he settles into a, a regular routine for the left field vacancy. You know, on, on any other night, Michael Kopech making his return to the mound for the first time since 2018 and then getting the win in the scorebook is the first thing I ask you about. What went through your head, Rick, watching Michael Kopech work for the first time on a big league mound since 2018? You know, it, it, it was great to see. I mean, we've obviously been able to see him over the last several weeks in Arizona, so we knew how the ball was coming out of his hand, and we knew uh, how dynamic multiple uh, pitches were, were working for him over the course of the last several weeks in spring. But it really wasn't until you know the lights went on, as they did last night, and we got to see him against a difficult Angels lineup, that you truly felt like he was all the way back. And quite candidly, uh, was thrilled with the performance and, and the output that we got out of him over the two-plus innings. But I was probably a little happier simply for, for Michael. Uh, that he had made it all the way back and that they you know, overcome the injury and the time off last year uh, to be an important contributor on a on what we think is a real good team. That's a, that's a great accomplishment for Michael. And, and knowing personally uh, what he's gone through over the last few years going back to the injury just makes you all the happier for him. And obviously it's a great result for, for this team. I, I know you and, and Tony La Russa have talked about how to use Michael Kopech, how, how everybody wants to use Michael Kopech, but did you expect him to come out against Trout after two clean innings and three strikeouts <laughs> and six batters? I, I mean, how, where are you at on that? I was sitting there, uh, my 15-year-old Charlie and I were watching the game together, and we were talking about whether we'd bring, bring uh, Michael back out to face Trout. And watching it, uh, given the way he was throwing, I was all for the idea if it was like any other player in baseball, basically, except for Trout. <laughs> That's what scared me. But I'm glad that Tony showed the confidence in him. And I think it's even though he wound up walking him in the end, uh, I think it was a, I think it's going to serve Michael and this team well over the long term to show that level of confidence in him and, uh, you know, Michael to compete against the best there is in his first outing, I think is only going to make him more confident over the course of the summer and hopefully into the fall. I'm glad you touched on the confidence part, Rick. I did want to ask you about it. And I know it's only been two games, so I I hope you'll let me kind of overreact just a little bit. (laughs) That's your right as a baseball fan, Connor, please. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Tony's great with the bullpen moves. He trusted Foster. He trusted Kopech. Cody Hoyer on opening night got trust. Is that something that you guys had planned on instilling in these young kids at points during the season, or you were all surprised that it happened so early? Um, I guess I should probably stop asking the GM of the team if he's surprised necessarily about how his manager <laughs> is bringing guys out of the pen. But, you know, it is early, and, and you don't often see managers of the Hall of Fame caliber go to rookies in that fa- I shouldn't say just rookies, but go to young pitchers in that fashion. You know, it, it, you touched on it right at the start of the question, and that is Tony has always been masterful in terms of his handling of bullpens, uh, innovative going back to his usage back in the, in the 80s. Uh, so it doesn't shock me that uh, he has been, you know, again, it's been two days, but over those two days he's definitely managed the talent that he's had out there. Uh, 
that really is one of the many positives of having Tony, you know, run at the helm in game. So it, it's great to see it in action. It is consistent, though, with not only his history, but also with you know what we've discussed over the last several months in terms of uh, deploying this pen. You know, really, I guess you could call. Uh, obviously, Liam's a, a veteran, and Bummer's a veteran, and you would call you know Evan Marshall a young veteran as well. But it is basically a pretty young pen overall, even with those guys. So it was going to be a matter of, of figuring out uh, who he could trust and where, and deploying them accordingly. But it, 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 the short answer is no. I'm not surprised, given given his history and the conversations we've had, that he's handled it so well here over two you know fairly tight games over the first two nights. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, our guest here on White Sox Weekly. Rick, again, two-game caveat, but just one wart in those two games. Defense has had a couple errors that have led to five unearned runs. Those relievers we've talked about have been, I mean, honestly, pretty great in working around as much as they could. Early season jitters, you know, kind of write that off sort of thing. How do you feel about where things have, uh, or how the ball's fallen a little bit so far? Yeah, you know, it, I, I think it's just probably a, byproduct of a small sample. Certainly, if there were some miscues in left field, uh, we would understand that, uh, given that we uh, have guys playing there who aren't used to being out there quite so much. When you see Adam Eaton, who's a gold glove caliber player out there, or Moncada, who is a gold glove finalist, or the the year that uh, Jose was coming off defensively last year, uh, involved in in misplays, that's, I think, just a randomness of the game. I don't think that's anything that long-term we're going to need to be concerned about with those individuals. Uh, Obviously, we want to tighten that up as quickly as possible. You don't want to be adding, you know, extra pitches, much less extra runs on that guys, the other team hasn't earned. So it's certainly a priority to to get tightened up. But when you're you're looking at uh, where those errors are coming from over the first two nights, I I, I don't think it's an area of long-term concern. Rick, do you know the uh, the Robert Redford gif where he's, I think it's the Jeremiah Johnson movie, and he just gives that kind of knowing nod online? You've seen this one? I don't think I know that. Oh, yeah, 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 where he's off in the woods, and he gives the nod, yeah, with exactly. long hair. Absolutely. Yes, it's that very, very he knows. This, this was a good job. This was, this was mm-hmm. top-notch. I, I had that reaction to Luis Roberts at bat prior to Abreu's homer. He goes mm-hmm. 2-0. He takes big cuts at two breaking balls, trying to do something for his team down one, reels it back in, a very patient finish to the at-bat, works a walk, and Jose Abreu goes yard. Is that is that in some way emblematic of how you'd like to see him grow? Is that actual growth in front of us? It was, it was a big moment in last night's game. No, it was huge, and I'm glad you pointed it out because it absolutely is emblematic of the type of growth we expect to see from Luis. I mean, look, the, in, you, you back it up a little bit, a couple of ABs. His last one, the previous night, opening night against Inglesias, he got carved up uh, with three sliders out of the zone. Uh, he looked like he was swinging from the second he walked up from the on-deck circle. So for him, in a matter of essentially two ABs, to transition in a big situation to a more disciplined approach, knowing the game situation, knowing who's behind him, uh, I think is is a, a great sign of uh, what lies ahead when he continues to de- as he continues to develop as an offensive player. It's something to keep in mind. You know, we do have a fairly young group out there. Uh, there are going to be growing pains. There are going to be points of of 
regression and points of growth over the course of the summer. Uh, but it, it's important, as you just did, uh, to highlight those uh, those points of growth when they do come out because that was a great great at bat and a key one to win in that ball game last night. I want to talk a little bit about a veteran on this squad, though. Dallas Keuchel had the start. I, I might be misremembering a little bit about Dallas's spring, but he was in that one game where he was, he was pitching, he came out, he came back in as per the new rule. It seemed like he, all of his post-game pressers, or, or I guess their in-game pressers, were kind of like, oh, I'm working to feel it, I'm not quite where I want to be exactly yet. Um, is that fair to say he's he's still trying to get to exactly where he wants to be at this point? Is he just a touch behind? It looked like he was wrestling the cutter a little bit last night. Yeah, he got he got into a little bit of trouble with the command at one point last night. I I, I wouldn't see I don't see him necessarily as behind, so to speak. Uh, he didn't make quite as many outings over the course of the spring as say Giolito or, or Cease. Uh, but he's a veteran, and he's sort of on his, his own program in terms of trying to keep him strong over the course of the entire year, and he's certainly not someone you worry about uh, when it comes to being prepared uh, for when the bell rings. So I, nothing too great. You're right from the standpoint that he didn't quite have the innings load in spring that some of the other guys did, but I don't think that necessarily really had much impact on on his performance last night and you know five days from now he's got the mariners and i think he's gonna be just fine for that i I would imagine that you and the rest of your staff are in uh pretty constant communication with the offices at mlb as it regards vaccinations uh, and, and with everybody here in illinois as well with you guys coming back sooner rather than later um any news on that front anything that's um that's changed some or is status quo kind of status quo it's still it's still a work in progress. It's still in queue. Uh, obviously, being on the road uh, makes it a little more difficult. It's it's something that uh, we obviously want to address in the near future, but we're we'll, very likely won't be able to address until the team's back in Chicago. So we're we're hopeful. Uh, you know, working with the powers that be able to get something queued up here in the not too distant future for the for the club. Uh, as I, I've noticed over the first few days, uh, some of the clubs that have opened at home have been able to do, thankfully. So hopefully we're not too far behind, and uh, we'll have, as soon as that's in place, we'll, we'll make it known publicly. Uh, Tony spoke about MLB moving the All-Star game last night, and he made sure to underline how important it is that Hank Aaron be celebrated. Obviously, everyone agrees with that. Tony makes a great point there. I wonder how you were notified of that decision, Rick. You know what? I found out the same way you did. Uh, I'm guessing the same way you did, and that was via the MLB press release. I obviously knew that it was under consideration, but didn't realize that the decision was going to come out when it did. So I, I, I found out the same way you did. And, you know, it's uh, I obviously don't speak for the White Sox organization on this. Uh, it's, a, it's a larger issue than just me, but I can, you know, speaking for myself, uh, you know, I certainly agree with Tony. I think it's a, a, a fantastic move and, and important to continue the with the original intent of, of celebrating Henry Aaron when the when the ultimate plans are put in place. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, one more news item, Rick, and then we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate you hanging out with us on White Sox Weekly. Uh, I've read reports that the draft has uh, a round number set at 20. Are you able to say whether that's accurate? And, and regardless of whether or not we're there yet in our plans. You guys will for sure go from a 40-round draft to five and then some third number. So I'm wondering what the real important bullet points for you guys are as that's a lot of shifting around in just three seasons. 
It's a lot of shifting around, but at the same time, it, it, really the challenges last year were, were slightly less with the number of rounds than it was with the, the lack of views. Uh, and, and by that I mean you know, Mike Shirley and his staff. Uh, the work obviously doesn't begin scouting for the amateur draft just with the most immediate season. Uh, they do have you know, previous fall ball work or the previous summer work on many of these guys, uh, certainly the, the college guys we go back a number of years on. But it does put you at a little bit of a disadvantage when you don't have that you know, most recent look to see how a guy has continued to develop. It, you know, quite candidly, makes the the Mike and, and his staff's recommendation of Garrett Crochet even more remarkable, uh, given that he only threw something like four innings last year uh, in as an amateur, but was still able to, you know, come so quickly to the big leagues and, and seemingly be a, an impact talent going forward. So that was more of the challenge for, for our guys. We'll adjust to whatever amount of rounds there are and, and to the rules accordingly. Um, and last year, between you know Crochet and, and Kelly in the first two rounds, we, we couldn't be happier with the, the five guys that we wound up uh, being able to secure. And uh, regardless of how many rounds it's this year, we're, uh, we look forward to hopefully coming back away with a similar haul. Rick, appreciate it as always. Great talking baseball with you. And I would imagine, you know, I don't know how Tony's exactly got the bullpen set, but knowing that Crochet didn't pitch in the first two nights, I wouldn't be too surprised if we're watching him throw tonight, which should be fun. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me, Connor. Be well. You got it. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. We'll be back with more White Sox Weekly in just a couple here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the new home, the new home of the White Sox. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Angels coming up later this evening. Pre-game show starts at 7 o'clock. 7.30, rather. 7.30. Apologies. Apologies all around. First pitch at 8.07. It's Lance Lynn and Alex Cobb on the bump. Just got done talking with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. Really cool conversation there. You can head over to the ESPN Chicago app in case you missed parts of it or just want to re-listen to it or have it or play it for someone else. All those are options. You just uh, hit the app, go down to the baseball page, and that podcast, the White Sox Weekly Podcasts, plural, are there for you. In case you missed it earlier, uh, I mentioned you know the last four weeks here on White Sox Weekly, we've been doing a uh, preview of the AL Central. We talked with Rex Hudler about the Royals. We talked with Corey Probus about the Twins. We talked with Tom Hamilton about Cleveland. Uh, and we talked with Matt Shepard about the Detroit Tigers, all guys who have seen a lot of games for those respective teams, right? And after we talked about those rosters and the kind of challenges that they'll provide for the White Sox and the different stages of roster building that each one are in, I asked each one of those guys about their perspective on the 2021 White Sox. We chopped that up into a bit of a hype reel and played it for you at the beginning of the show. If you missed that, we'll probably play it again to end things because it's, it's fun and it's exciting, and uh, we like fun and exciting things here on White Sox Weekly. Well, you're going to get you uh, Michael Kopech. You'll hear from your mean Mercedes, the hero last night. You may hear from Liam Hendricks as well. He had kind of a funny encounter on the pregame Zoom today. Uh, you'll hear from Len Casper at 6 o'clock. 
usually it's hashtag ask Len on Twitter today. It's Len asks you. He's got a question for you coming up at six uh, or, or in, in a little bit, actually, 615. Apologies. Uh, 615. Len will ask you a question. I don't know what it is yet. We'll find out together. And then we'll answer it. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. As always, you want to talk White Sox, we are here for you. Uh, Jason Benetti at 632. I, I, I want to say over these last two games with the White Sox, and I know it's a small sample, and we talked about that a lot with Rick Hahn, right? It comes with all of the small sample caveats, these first two games. But I, I think the excitement around the league is at a different level. At least it is for me, and I, I think it is for White Sox fans, and I think it is for baseball fans around. You tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the excitement is at a different level. And it it's a bit of a different flavor of excitement than it normally is for a baseball season, right? Last year was weird, and it was fun, no doubt about it. We were watching baseball after all, but it was strange, and it was different. And it's still a little bit strange and different. We're here at Guaranteed Rate Field, and the game's in Anaheim, and you know that, that all happens. But it's been a blast to have the grand old game back. It has been so much fun to watch the kinds of things that we're used to watching like from the before times and when life felt a little bit different. And for me, I, I just speak for me personally, Connor here talking, that's been uh, helpful for the soul. And, and I hope it has for you too. Uh, I've mentioned on this show a couple of times and, and even on the broadcast, I, I know that when we get to opening day here at Guaranteed Rate Field, or I guess I should say when we open the park here at Guaranteed Rate Field on the 8th against the Royals, that it is going to be, you know, in a way, a, a psychological lid lifter to the season for me. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing White Sox fans out here. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody throughout the summer because it's, I've needed it. And I know a lot of other people feel the same way. I do have a lineup for you for the White Sox this evening. Um, I did, you heard Rick Hahn mention it in the interview just a little while ago. He broke the news for us that both your mean Mercedes and Andrew Vaughn are in the lineup for the White Sox again tonight. It is Lance Lynn's debut. We'll give you a couple of uh, fun facts about Lance Lynn a little bit later on in the show. Tim Anderson's at short. Adam Eaton is in right. Jose Abreu is at first. They go one, two, three. Yohan Mancata is at third. Zach Collins is going to catch. Yermin Mercedes is going to DH. That's four, five, and six. So Yasmani Grandal has the night off. Seven, eight, and nine is Luis Robert in center. Andrew Vaughn in left, and Leuri Garcia at second base. Nick Madrigal has the night off as well after starting the first two games. So that's your White Sox lineup, and in case you didn't write it down, you'll hear it in the pregame show, and DJ will have it for you with the defensive lineups and uh, everything for the Angels, too. Lance Lynn is uh, is kind of fun to watch pitch, I'll be honest with you. He's, he's kind of that old-school guy with the mentality of, of being able to take the ball and, and go deep into ball games, throw a lot of pitches. Um, he makes his start for the White Sox tonight, first time in a White Sox uniform. It's he's no stranger to Tony La Russa, so I would imagine that, you know, as as we've seen Tony trust guys like Cody Hoyer in a big spot, Matt Foster in a really big spot last night, or turn back to Michael Kopech and say, "Hey, it's a great two innings, kid. Three strikeouts and six batters face, but now now go get that Mike Trout fella." That's not new to Lance Lynn, right? I mean, he's he's been out there in a World Series. He pitched a lot in that postseason. He was leaned on by Tony La Russa. So, you know, it's kind of one of those scenarios where I think, though it's new to see for us and for White Sox fans, um, 
it's a chance where Lynn, as a veteran and a guy who's been through it before with La Russa, probably had a chance to set some of that expectation for those young guys in the pen and mention, you know, hey, this is you know, Tony's going to come out there. He's going to ask you for things. He's going to trust you in certain situations, and you excel. There's more work for you down the line. I think it's a really cool situation to be in in the bullpen. Uh, the even cooler situation to be in is that. Every single one of those guys is real talented and throws the ball really hard. Take a quick break here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back, we have flipped the script. Usually, you get a chance to ask Len or ask DJ. You just use the hashtag on Twitter and follow at ESPN White Sox. That's our Twitter handle here at the network for all news White Sox related uh, and your way to interact with the broadcast. Today, it's different. Len asks you. He's got a question for White Sox fans. I've not yet heard it. We'll all hear it together for the very first time after a quick timeout. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We spoke with Rick Hahn earlier in the show. White Sox general manager reacted to the first two games of the season. Built a little information about the lineup tonight. It has your mean Mercedes in it. It has Andrew Vaughn in it. He is in left. Should be a fun one this evening. White Sox taking on the Angels. Uh, and you're going to hear that right here, of course, on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. First pitch, 807. Pre-game starts at 7.30. Um, mentioned that, you know, in the broadcast over the last two nights, and we'll do it all season long, we've been giving you a chance to get into the booth with the hashtags AskLen and AskDJ. We go back and forth every night. One night it's an AskLen, one night it's an AskDJ, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You get a chance to ask Len or DJ a question. We talk about it during the game. Saturdays, though, it's a little different. And we just decided this today. We've been kicking around for a little bit. I think it's going to go well. I have high hopes for it. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. In just a second, Len Casper is going to ask you a question. I suppose he's, he's also going to ask me a question. I've never heard what this is. I don't know what Len has for us. And I'm not going to any of the Saturdays. It's going to be brand new. I'm looking forward to it. Eric Ostrowski, our producer at the studio, has the switch, so throw it, man. What does Len have to ask us? Hey, Sox fans, it's Len Casper. You've been asking me questions during our broadcasts, and now it's my turn. I have a question for you. Where is your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? We know it's ESPN 1000 and the White Sox Network, but I mean physically, where do you like to listen to baseball on the radio the most? In your car, on the back patio, in your living room? Is there a special place where you like to listen to baseball on the radio? Call in to tell us at 312-332-3776. You can tweet your responses to at ESPN White Sox. Use the hashtag LenAsks. Connor, back to you. Oh, what a great question. Look at him over there in the other booth, just smiling. I can see him right now. Where is your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? Your favorite physical place to listen to baseball on the radio? I have mine already. Like I, I know right away my favorite spot. I will tell you in a little bit, but I want to hear from you. 332-3776. 312-332-3776. That is the phone number I want your answers 
Mark in Wilmington, you are first up for Len Asks. Where is your favorite spot to listen? Well, when I was a kid, I um, I would listen to the White Sox in the attic, kind of, you know, pretend that Harry Carey was there, and, you know, he's broadcasting our games and everything. And uh, now it's the bedroom. You know, you just put the covers over your head and you listen to radio and at nine and listen to the White Sox and the Angels at nine o'clock, and everybody's worried about you and everything. And I just, I think it's just, uh, it's it's the best. With bedroom in the attic, well, the attic and when you're a kid, and bedroom when you're an adult. Mark, what was the attic like? I mean, did you have it all to yourself? Was it like was it furnished? Was, yeah, it, was it you know just kind well, of the, was, the the beams and everything? Well, I had like um, it was. I pretend it was like a broadcast, you know, um, a room where you know you, they would announce the games and everything, and they would have like closets, and, and you had Harry Carey there and everybody else, and it just. Um, Get all the posters up, you know, White Sox supporters and everything. It's just amazing stuff. It just that and then when we were playing awesome. the game, you would have Harry Carey announce the game, Bud Kelly announce the games, and oh yeah, uh, it, that's that's an all, ultimate, you know, the ultimate ultimate experience of the White I Sox. Read you, man, I read you. Appreciate the phone call, Mark. That sounds awesome. The guy had his own uh, make believe or imaginary broadcast booth up in the attic, listening to White Sox games back in the day. That is so cool. It's a great question from Len. Where's your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? You know, obviously it's, it's here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox network. He, he knocked that one out of the park, but the physical spot you're listening is, is really clutch and important as well. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to my own, not my childhood so much, but I, I remember when I moved, you know, back into town. I'm, I'm from Chicago, but moved around a lot and moved back here. And I, I want to say 2008, 2009. I think it was just as the calendar flipped. And I, I remember my the first apartment I got that actually had a yard. And I was so proud. I was so happy to have the yard and a grill out there. And for me, it's it's not a, I don't mean to do a macho trip or anything like that. But I loved throwing a couple of Italian sausages on the grill and listening to a ball game and just kind of having that as, you know, the background noise, you soundtrack of the summer kind of stuff. That's my absolute favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio. You get some friends, a couple of beverages, something to eat, you know, that kind of smell, the coals, the whole deal. It's um, it, it made listening to baseball on the radio, and I, I did it quite a bit. It, it made it a tactile experience as much as anything else. Uh, and then, of course, a, a good friend of mine and I, when we when we roomed together a little later, you know, it, it gets it gets late at night. And you've got work the next morning. We would just, as, as long as Vin Scully was on, you know, doing Dodger games on the West Coast, we just keep it on and let it go. It was, uh, it was, it was just a great experience as well. That question's out there for you as long as you want to answer it all show long, and we'll talk about it in-game as well. That's Len Asks on Twitter. I'll, I'll scour Twitter as well and get some responses there and bring them back to you. Len Asks, hashtag Len Asks. Where is your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? What physical location gets you going? Appreciate Mark in Wilmington and his response. That's some fun stuff. Um, mentioned the lineup is out. Talked you through that a little bit. Uh, Michael Kopech last night was awesome. Just awesome to watch. There, I, I, I told my brother about it last night as I was heading home from the ballpark because he's an insomniac, and we were just talking about the, the day that was in Major League Baseball. And he, he asked me, well, how, how did Michael Kopech look? And I said, man, it it looked like he hadn't missed a beat. It looked like Michael Kopech had been working against major league hitters throughout 
2018, 2019, and 2020. I mean, he looked like that guy. And and I understand we, we had a couple of calls on the postgame show here on the network that asked about Kopech. And I, I think the question was something to the regard of, you know, with his, with the success, with the stuff that he showed, are the White Sox going to be tempted to, um, I don't know, kind of push a little bit to get more out of him? And I think the idea is, be as successful as you can out of the bullpen. You keep showing stuff like that, and you know maybe things change. Maybe you keep him stretched out as you can, and maybe there are some starts for him later on this season. But I think the idea is to keep all possibility and all potential of his working in the rotation in 2022 alive and likely. You know, given the given the stuff that he's got, the weapon he's been, and and the fact that he's got starter in his resume, I think that matters quite a bit. It was one of the more fun things last night watching Michael Kopech work. Want to head back out to the phone lines here. Len asks, is a hit. He asked the question a little earlier. Where is your favorite place, your favorite physical location to listen to a ball game on the radio in Park Forest? It's Bob. Bob, what's up? Hi. I thought I'd let you know my favorite place is when I'm washing dishes because not only do I refuse to pay for TV, I don't have a dishwasher, so I I enjoy uh, listening to the game while I'm washing dishes. That's old school, man. No dishwasher. That's I mean, you're you're taking on a lot of work there. Well, there's only two of us, and then we have guests, you know. It's not that difficult. All right. Fair enough. Glad to hear it, man. Glad to hear it. Don't make too too much noise watching dishes. Otherwise, you can't hear Len and DJ. Eric, uh, let's do a little producing live on air. Can I take Joe and Joliet before we hit the break and talk to Jason Benetti? Oh, yeah. Let her rip. All right. I'm going to take Joe and Joliet. Joe, where's your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? Oh, well, that's easy for me. The only place I can. I've been a nurse at home. I'm blind and I had a stroke. The only place I can is in my bed. So I stay up late at night and listen to the White Sox on the West Coast. That's awesome, man. God bless you. I'm so glad that we can be a part of your night. I'm so glad that we've got baseball for you on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Uh, love having you every single night because I know that you're listening. That's so cool. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll talk with Jason Benetti television voice of the Chicago White Sox. He'll be our next guest. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yeah! Yeah! Hell yeah! Welcome back to White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We are at Guaranteed Rate Field, and I look forward to having some soft sell, soft serve, soft serve here at the ballpark when I get a chance. Our next guest is Jason Benetti. You know him as the television voice of the White Sox. That's incidentally how I know him as well. Jason, thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Good to talk with you. You too, Connor. Good to hear your voice again. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so our, our start of the season has been a fun one. The White Sox are one and one. But I, I want to start somewhere else. I know you're prepping for the game, so you likely haven't heard our newest bit here on White Sox Weekly. Um, we've been doing Ask Len on Twitter, where fans get a chance to ask Len Casper questions during the game, right? Saturdays, okay. yep, I saw that. We, f- we flip the script, and it's Len Asks. So he asked White Sox fans just a little while ago on the show, 
where is your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? The physical location where you enjoy most listening to baseball on the radio. I, I have to ask you the same question. I know you haven't had a chance to listen to a lot of baseball on the radio. What with doing television, but where would you pick? Uh, so the number one place for me is my car. I mean, sure. when you're when you're sitting in traffic, there's nothing better than listening to baseball on the radio because it sort of tempers the the um, penchant for road rage. For being honest, Len Len and DJ have such soothing voices that when you want to swerve past somebody in the other lane, they they make you not do that by saying playing a ground ball to short. It's comforting, it's loving, and it's caring, and it's really something I'm glad to be a part of. Is that the answer you were looking for? Absolutely. Uh, anything that allays okay. your road rage is good by me. Uh-huh. I don't want you freaking <laughs> out on anybody on 94 or 290, for that yeah. matter. My word, that's a, that's a nightmare sometimes. Jason, I, I spoke with Rick Hahn a little bit earlier in the show, and we talked a lot about the the trust, the confidence that he gave an opportunity to go earn for some of these young White Sox relievers, Hoyer, Foster, all these guys. Um, wonder if you, I assume you and Stoney talked a bit about that, but I wonder what hit you most about those opportunities for some of those young White Sox relievers over the first two nights. I, to me, it's yesterday, Michael Kopech getting to come out and throw to Mike Trout after he had already gone for six batters worth of outs. And for Tony LaRusso to say, hey, you know, whoever, whoever I've got, I believe in, I think there's a lot of good there. Um, and I think already we see that these relievers know that if it's their night, they might pitch in an important spot. And so, yeah, I mean, I, it's an easy bullpen to do this with, I think, to, to believe in everybody out there. But I think we've seen the last couple nights, number, the number one thing for me is the intent with which Tony LaRusa manages his bullpen. There is always a strategy. There's always an idea. There's always some reason for something that's beyond what's on the surface. And so I think it's exciting as a fan to watch him handle the bullpen. And it's got to be exciting for those pitchers down there to know that they're not just the seventh guy down there, or I can't pitch you in this spot. I mean, it's, it's early in the season, but it seems as though there's nobody that's going to be tabbed as that. Yeah, we've we've seen a couple of young ball players make their debuts as well. Andrew Vaughn in left last night, but your mean Mercedes has had all the headli- headlines. Uh, DJ called his first hit. I know Stoney's a master of prognostication. Did he see a big night for Mercedes? Uh, Steve called Tim Anderson's home run last night. Shocker. Uh, neither of us. I'm sad to say neither of us had the five for five. Uh, <laughs> that shockingly. Um, but yeah, no. Um, look. It's thrilling for the kid, and and I say kid, but he's been through the car wash of minor league baseball and everything, as I'm sure the guys talked about last night. I mean, it's 10 years worth of up and down, and I might quit, and I, I won't quit, but I'm thinking that this might not happen and still believing that it would happen. And so, no, I don't think any of us, any of us saw it coming, but the post-game interview we had with Mercedes was just a beautiful thing. I mean, here's a guy who just has unbridled joy for the game of baseball and what it can do for somebody. And I, I don't know. I, I just think that that's one of those stories that happened day two of the season. And I sincerely hope none of us forgets it after game 162. You know, you've, you've been a lot of, around a lot of clubhouses, Jason, and you talk about the, on the broadcast, you can hear it too with you and Stoney. You guys have talked about the joy that this game is kind of imbued with 
it matters, doesn't it, when a clubhouse can kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, harness it and, and use it, especially when it comes from players like your mean Mercedes? Yeah, I mean, you've been, you've been in A-ball clubhouses where guys are, like, over it, in A-ball. And I've been in AAA clubhouses where when you come back from the majors, I mean, there are some really cranky people in those clubhouses. And I don't know how much it affects the win column, but it certainly affects your quality of life, which I think eventually affects the win column in one way or the other. So, yeah, I look, I, I, the number one reason that I'm glad this clubhouse is what it is and as close is, as what it is is these guys are really easy to root for. I mean, if you're a Sox fan, you look and you say, like, I literally, not just because they're wearing the jersey, but, like, I want Tim Anderson to do well in life because I want him to get everything that he wants out of life. And you feel that for Mercedes, and you feel it for Lucas Giolito, a guy who, you know, wears his beliefs on his sleeve and is intent on making the world a better place. Like, baseball can bring you so many things for whatever you feel like your, your worldview is. I just think there's a lot to gain for, for, for Sox fans, as you watch this team, you really want them to do well. Talk with Jason Benetti, the television voice of the uh, White Sox, here on White Sox Weekly, the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. You know, tonight's game is tonight's game. It's Lynn and Cobb, but I couldn't help but notice uh, when I saw Fabian Ardaya of The Athletic, who covers the Angels, tweet out that Shohei Otani will not only start Sunday night, but will also hit and hit for himself. I imagine you're geeked about this. I am. I, you know, if, if you were putting it together and getting ready for a cast, I, I feel terrible that you guys, you know, it's this Sunday night game. What are you, you going to do for the Shohei Otani game against the White Sox? I'm going to watch. Uh, and Good plan. See what Good plan. I mean, it's. Look, th- those are the costs of, of having a good baseball team sometimes. But I think uh, two things. Uh, number one, Joe Madden uh, said, you know, hey, Otani said it's up to Joe Madden whether or not he's going to go ahead and hit. And Joe Madden obviously believes in him enough that, that he's going to go ahead and hit while he pitches. And we were talking about this last night. I mean, the value Otani can bring if he ends up doing both successfully the Angels have a much better chance of winning the American League West. And then number two, uh, you're talking about Fabian Ardaya and, and his tweets. The number one tweet uh, that I saw from him about the Angels today was, he said, number one, Chris Rodriguez, when he came out of the bullpen last night, said he blacked out. And then number two, his later quote was, I always do well when I black out. And I was like, hmm, I... Maybe you could prob- maybe you could do okay when you don't black out coming out of the bullpen as well. I've, I've never heard somebody say it exactly like that before. But he's evidently a- had a lot of experiences that are out of body, and he's yeah. got good stuff. That is not ex- my experience with that phenomenon. I'm glad for him. He, he was throwing seeds, too. It was fun to watch him pitch, as it was uh, the rest of the Sox bullpen and the, um, some of those angels throwing as well. Uh, Jason, the, the catching spot behind Yasmani Grandal has been, was really the, the topic of conversation um, throughout spring. Wonder how you and Steve kind of evaluated Zach Collins, your mean Mercedes, uh, even even Jonathan Lucroy to a point. I know the injury to Eloy Jimenez shifted how the White Sox were going to put things together, but defensively behind the plate after Yasmani, how are you guys feeling uh, about where the White Sox are at? Well, I feel good about it, number one, because the White Sox felt good enough about it to release Jonathan Lucroy. 
I think if Luke Roy was still around, it might have suggested something about the development of the other two behind the plate. And so the fact that the Sox were willing to do that, I think, is an indicator of what they believe of Zach Collins' improvement behind the plate. It's going to be interesting to watch him tonight. I mean, it's our first crack at Zach Collins in the regular season this year with the new uh, catching uh, positioning that he's using and the one knee and everything that comes along with that. And we'll see how he handles a veteran and Lance Lynn. I mean, the good news is he can just basically say throw some version of the fastball and that's the end of the night for Lance Lynn. So we know what's coming from Lance. But I think um, we will see how it is and how much success the Sox have receiving-wise. But, you know, with the loss of James McCann is more than Lucas Giolito losing his catching running mate. The loss of James McCann is a really sturdy receiver and partner for pitchers and all that comes along with it. And I think I wouldn't say it's pressure on Zach and your mean behind the plate, but I would say that one of the things that you'd want is to have somebody really competent in handling a pitching staff if something happens to Yasmani at a point throughout the season. So, uh, you know, we'll watch as the season goes along, and there will be opportunities. I mean, it's not like those guys aren't going to catch, especially Zach, I would say. You know, we'll see him a couple times a week is what I would imagine, uh, at least once a week behind the plate. And I think it's really imperative for the Sox to have somebody who can extremely competently receive behind Yaz. You know, last night's game being as exciting as it was, it's it's a little easy to go past Lucas Giolito's start. Five and a third, eight strikeouts, two runs. I believe it was two walks, but I flipped to the wrong page in my scorebook. Yeah, two walks. Mm. That That's important. You know, I mean, he, he his opening day start last year did not go the way he wanted to. I wonder what you saw out of Lucas that uh, that enabled him to harness things, I guess, for lack of a better term. I mean, <laughs> So two components. Number one, the Angels just haven't seen this changeup other than a little bit in 2019. And when you strike out David Fletcher twice in a game, that's really difficult to do. That's, that's a feat. And so clearly the changeup was working. I mean, it was, it was an absolute uh, mutant changeup he threw to Mike Trout to strike him out in the first inning. And, you know, we saw some of the slider, not a lot of the slider. And I think Lucas very easily... I don't want to say gets away with because it's his bread and butter, but he can go fastball change, especially against teams who don't know him very well and have grand success. So I think it was more of the same. I think Lucas keeps getting better and keeps changing things. And like there's, there's, there's a lot of improvement still remaining in him, but what we see right now is ace of the staff stuff. Jason, appreciate you checking in. Uh, no, you are always welcome on White Sox Weekly, even if it's just to do a Keith Jackson impersonation. I look forward oh, to seeing you. About... <laughs> I look forward to seeing uh, you at the park very soon, my friend. Yeah, I look forward to it, and that's—I don't really do that good of a Keith. I can do the Sports Center voiceover guy if you wanted at some point. Yeah, we can do that. Why don't we? Yeah, you want to hang on the line and lay down a couple of tracks for, for our guy Eric? White Sox so we Weekly, brought to you by the Budweiser Hot Sea. That that really is good. Um, and we might we might we might have a job change uh, here at the uh, here at the White Sox Network. You want me to do your liners? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, is it wrong? Is that wrong? I do. Connor McKnight, brought to you by Brooks Brothers. <laughs> Oh, Jason, you're the man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Okay. That's Jason Benetti. 
He does television for the White Sox. He's very talented and also is going to cut our liners. More White Sox Weekly when we come back. Your mean Mercedes had a night he will never, ever forget. You'll hear from the man next. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Eric Ostrowski is our producer. Sean Davis is going to step in in a bit. The pregame show starts at 7.30. First pitch, 8.07 here on these very airwaves. Wherever you're listening now, you will get the game a little bit later. Uh, that's that's my jam, by the way, coming back from break, Eric. You got to be careful with that one. You could break some things uh, here at the ballpark. That is a hot one. You mean Mercedes. Had a big night last night. Five for five. I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, he is the first player since Cecil Davis in 1933 to go five for five in his first big league start. He did have one at bat last season. He did not get a hit, but in his first start, five for five. I really, he's five for five. I, we don't need any caveats. That's one heck of a night for such a young ball player. We talked with Rick Hahn earlier in the show and uh, talked a lot about how the minor league Rule 5 pick, your mean Mercedes, battled and fought in the Pecos League and remade himself as a minor leaguer with the Orioles. A lot of, uh, a lot of proven people wrong along the way from your mean Mercedes. And he spoke with reporters last night. I wanted to bring some of it back to you because uh, it was after the postgame show wrapped. He was asked what thoughts were running through his head before that first at bat. I'm so excited. Every of that, every of us, so excited. Just go to the home play, uh, do the best I can do. I don't know what I what am I what am I say right now or what I, I want to say, but I just I just so happy right now. Talked a bit about his approach at the plate. Remember, three of those five hits were in two-strike counts. So how do you do it? I don't try to do too much. Just keep my same approach. Every time I follow follow the ball, follow every adjustment I'm going to do every time when I come into the field, um, when I be in, on the cage with the coaches. Just, you know, working the little team, just – Working hard and uh, my same my same approach, um, you know. I don't want to I don't want to change my approach because it's very good right now. Yeah, very good. That's maybe an understatement. He was fantastic last night, and after his first hit, which was the White Sox first hit of the game in that third inning, he trots down to first base, and there's Albert Pujols who had the ball for him. He just playing with me. Uh, I know Pujols. He know me. Um, he wanted like joking with me all the time, like playing with me. And he say, "Hey, congratulations! Take the ball. His money coming more." I say, "All right, I got it. Thank you." That's such a cool part of that night. He gets to go to first, and there's Albert Pujols, who's going to have his plaque in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you could you could just print that thing and put it in there already. So, uh, as as best he could, he was asked to kind of. Sum up the night. It's too hard. I just want to cry every time when I when I see I'm in the major right now. I just want to cry because it's a long time. 
It's a long time. I passed everything. I got a big history. So it's about time, but uh, it's hard for me because I just looking around. I'm so like, it's real. I'm here because I know when I be a couple of years ago, what am I do? What's going to happen with me? And you'll say, God, when I be in the Myers, so what I need to do? Because all the time, all my years, I'm putting my numbers, um, do the best of myself. But uh, the time is now, uh, the opportunity is now. Just keep working hard, keep the head up, trusting God. Just got to know what's going to happen. And honesty is not a problem for your mean Mercedes, too. We talk so much about the superstars in this game, and, and rightly so. You know, I mean, Mike Trout deserves a whole lot of conversation in the pregame show, and Shohei Otani's big-time stuff. Jose Abreu won an MVP last year. Yawan Mankata is a big-time superstar. So is Tim Anderson. But your mean Mercedes is in that room with everybody else, and it was quite a road to get him into that room. He spoke with honesty about the journey and the the, tri- the trial that it was to get to where he was last night? some point, I just, I just want to give up. I just say, I don't want to play anymore. I don't know what, what I need to do, but uh, yes, I want to give up. But uh, my family, my father, my mom say, hey, you can do it. Keep working. You can do it. We, we trust in you because we know who's, who you are. But a lot of time, a lot of time, I say, hey, I don't want to play anymore. I go home or I don't want to do that. But uh, every time they they with me and they say, hey, keep doing. You're the best. You're the best. That's awesome. You're mean Mercedes. Last night's hero, five for five in his first major league start. The first ball player to do that since 1933. We're going to take a break in a minute, and when we come back, you will hear from Michael Kopech, who had a return as well. Uh, first time pitching since 2018. Well, first time pitching in a, in a major league game since 2018. Earned the win in relief. He went two plus. He struck out three of the seven hitters he faced. He did walk Mike Trout, but gave him a pretty tough at bat. That was coming back out for a third inning. We spoke with Rick Hahn in the beginning of the show, or toward the beginning of the show. And, and Tony La Russa has talked about Kopech quite a bit as well, because he's one of the more intriguing pieces on this team for a bunch of reasons. You're all White Sox fans. I don't have to tell you all of them. But the idea of Kopech being able to throw multiple innings in a handful of ball games, maybe across a week, week and a half, is it's enticing. I mean, everybody goes back to Andrew Miller when he was really cooking, you know, for Cleveland, um, and I'm, I'm blanking, oh, and, and the Yankees, you know, working multiple innings at a time and, and really shutting down tough pockets of opponent lineups and just being the, just being the end all. And not necessarily in a safe situation. You know, he'd come out and shut down any kind of rally just with a bunch of strikeouts and nasty breaking balls, whether it was a righty or a lefty at the plate. And, you know, the idea of having a guy like that, or I guess I should say a guy trusted to do something like that, because nobody's exactly going to be Miller uh, and, and, and getting to that point costs a little bit down the line. But but Kopech in, in large swaths like that, and I think seven hitters counts as, as large considering where he's been and where the White Sox bullpen is too, it's, it's enticing. 
I would think that, and, and I mentioned this to, uh, on a show earlier on, on ESPN, that I think every care is going to be given to make sure that Michael Kopech can still or is still in a shape to make starts in 2022. That's what he was traded for to do. Uh, that's what he was acquired to do, I, I guess is probably a better way of putting that. That's what he wants to do. That's where his greatest value lies, I think, still. But being able to you know, tighten up his window and, and loosen it some, yeah, a couple hitters here and maybe a larger group here is a very... It's a very versatile weapon to have in Tony La Russa's bullpen. He's probably down for a night or two, uh, and Garrett Crochet is, is likely to pitch tonight. Only I only say that because he, he hasn't in the first two games. Um, and a couple other guys have. You know, the, the White Sox went through Foster, Kopech, Marshall, and Hendricks last night out of the bullpen. And in night one, it is a little bit of a longer inning from both Cody Hoyer and Aaron Bummer. Foster's worked in back-to-back ballgames, so he is likely down. I'm, I'm making assumptions here. We don't know that to be true, obviously. Only only Tony and the rest of the White Sox coaching staff know who's left in that bullpen, but, you know, convention is what it is. You'll hear from Michael Kopech when we come back. He spoke about making his first big league pitches since 2018. We'll get it to you next on White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Yes! Hell yes! This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Michael Kopech threw last night against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He faced seven hitters. He struck out three of them. He did walk Mike Trout, but Mike Trout will do that to you regardless of how well you're working. He struck out Max Stassi. He struck out Dexter Fowler. And he struck out Shohei Otani, too. And we all thought that that Otani was going to be the end of the night for Kopech. It's two innings. That's a lot of work. The pitch count wasn't. You know, ridiculous or anything like that. But two innings is, you know, it's, it's a lot for a guy making his first relief uh, appearance, for a guy making his first appearance since 2018. And then there he was, starting off the eighth against Mike Trout. We talked with Rick Hahn earlier in the show. I asked him if he was uh, a little surprised that Tony had thrown him back out there for another hitter. Rick said that he and his son were watching the game and that they were both talking about the likelihood, uh, the potential, I guess, of Kopech going out for another hitter in the eighth. And Rick said that I, I thought I was in for it for anybody other than that Mike Trout dude. And then there he was working a Trout, having a good competitive uh, plate appearance or a good competitive at bat, I suppose. It's in a bat for a pitcher, too. Batter faced, I guess. Walked him, gave him two good breaking balls, tried to get him to chase, gave him some good high and tight fastballs at 98, 99. Michael Kopech spoke to reporters after the game last night about what was a big, big night for the young White Sox right-hander. Michael, uh, after your last spring outing, it seemed like you weren't uh, even entirely pleased with where your, your breaking stuff command was. Was it different tonight? Was there, was there something uh, tangible you did that, to make it have that, that progress? Or I guess what was different tonight? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a few days since then to kind of flip some things, uh, just kind of get a feel for the spin again. <clears throat> I think I only threw one curveball tonight, uh, if I remember correctly. But uh, I landed it. And it was used early in the count, and I wasn't trying to use it as necessarily a wipeout pitch. Um, my slider, I still probably could 
have a little bit better command with that pitch than I did tonight. Um, but it was moving for me and it was effective. So I was pleased with where my stuff was. Um, but that being said, there's still a lot of work to be done. Michael, I guess the basic question is, you know, you hadn't pitched since, what, September 5th, 2018, minus Cactus League games. What did it feel like when you stepped back out on the mound tonight? Eerily familiar. Um, I was a lot calmer than I expected to be. I just really enjoyed being back out there and kind of being in a competitor's mode again. And not that I didn't get to experience that in spring training, but this is just different, you know. Um, so it was nice being back out there and getting to kind of get back in that element. What was it like to kind of be thrown into the situation you were thrown in of, you know, basically a relief situation of you have to protect a one-run lead, you know, you're on the road, there's a little bit of momentum on the other side. Did that maybe take you out of thinking about this being your first time out? Maybe a little bit, yeah, because I think I've kind of been worried about the pressure before today. Um, not worried about it in the sense that I wouldn't be able to handle it, just it's been a long time since I've been in a pressure situation. Um, and with when we had you know, a pretty good lead there for a minute. I thought I would probably be coming in with, you know, hardly any pressure. And then when that ground kind of got made up and I was trying to hold on to a one-run lead, it made me go out there and just, you know, compete with every pitch, which is what the game plan should be anyway. But it just helped kind of get me back into the game the way I needed to be. Michael, what was the uh, dugout reaction to your main Mercedes uh, five-hit game in his first career start? Uh, there was definitely smiles all around, most of them from Europe. <laughs> It was uh, it was really cool, man. Like I, I want everybody on our team to have success, and a guy like that that's been wanting to debut for obviously a really long time, show up and literally make history. That's crazy. It's awesome. Just uh, how are you feeling after throwing two innings and coming out back out for a third, especially to face Trout? Uh, I know you've been kind of lengthening out over the course of spring, but did that seem like a challenge that you, you were up for? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, I think going back out for that second one really felt more familiar to me than coming out of the pen for the first one. Because when that second inning, you know, when, I, when I'm back on the mound warming up, coming out of the dugout, it, it feels just like a starter role. And I'm, I'm very familiar with that. And I like doing that and like being in the dugout with the boys when, when I'm pitching. So um, to me, that part was familiar. And yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to more opportunities and such. Michael, I know this is uncharted territory for you but after an outing like this uh, getting up and down as many times as you did uh, when will you be able to throw again do you have a feeling for for that how soon you might be able to bounce back or i guess the decision would be made you know by the team obviously but as far as how i feel um you know at the moment i could tell you i feel great tomorrow maybe a different story but you know the, the plan for me is to recover as quickly as possible and be ready to go anytime they need me so you know if that means getting back out there tomorrow then that's what it means. But I don't know if that's in the foreseeable future right now. Michael, uh, first big league win. Did you get anything uh, afterwards, lineup card or keep the baseball or something like that? I didn't even know I got a win, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought that was Foster. But, um, no, that's great. No, I'm, I'm excited about that. That's White Sox reliever Michael Kopech. That's very cool that he didn't know. He was getting informed right then and there that he'd been awarded the win in the book. Uh, he indeed did. Andrew Heaney took the loss, and Liam Hendricks had the save. I, You know, I'm, I'm glad they asked. I, I think it was Daryl Van Scallen who asked the question regarding how he felt and whether he'd come back out quick um, for another outing, I should say, not not for another inning last night, but for another outing. It's I hadn't thought about it in that context exactly that getting up 
and down and going back out for another inning is the comfortable thing for Michael Kopech, right? I mean, that's where he's always been, knowing that he's got this inning, then he'll go sit down, then go back out for a next one and have an opportunity to work and shape some things. Uh, you heard James Fegan ask him about the breaking ball, the curveball, uh, early on in the interview, and Kopech threw, I, I think it was two, and not just the one, threw a couple of sliders as well, but knowing that you're the starting pitcher and have a chance to get the feel for something in an outing, it's just that longer leash, right? It's an understanding that, yeah, you might not have a whole arsenal working right now, but we'll get it figured out. We'll make sure we're throwing the good stuff off the bat and keeping everything, you know, as safe and secure here. But we gotta, you know, we'll figure that slider out or we'll get that curveball working or we'll feel that change out as we go here. We'll find some of the, I don't know, hitters later in the lineup or something like that to figure it out. Being able to afford Kopech some kind of familiarity in that regard is an extra thing the White Sox might be able to offer him if they're working him in you know two, three inning outings, something like that. And it's always, you always ask a pitcher how he feels the day after he throws uh, because the night after he throws, he's probably filled with adrenaline if he threw well and like the world is going to end if he didn't. That next day is, is going to be a good measure physically for how Michael Kopech feels. And I'm sure he's told White Sox uh, staff exactly how that's working right now. I, I want to play for you real quickly here uh, because we're going to do it in the broadcast a little later tonight. And we'll mention it again in the pregame show. Usually we do Ask Len or Ask DJ. Saturdays it's different. Len asks, and he asked a question of White Sox fans earlier in the show. I want you to know again what it is. Here's Len. Where is your favorite place to listen to baseball on the radio? Where do you like to listen to baseball on the radio the most? In your car, on the back patio, in your living room? Is there a special place where you like to listen to baseball on the radio? That's Len Casper. Every Saturday, he's got uh, Len Asks. DJ's going to get a crack at it as well. He's going to ask questions to White Sox fans. He's very, very excited about it. In fact, he's he's got one planned right now. I can I can see it, the, the cogs turning in the head. There's a lot of noise going around. Oh, well, that's not appropriate. So we'll get that for you every Saturday. It's a fun opportunity. We had a bunch of good calls. Uh, one guy was was remembering listening to White Sox game in his attic and pretending he had the broadcast booth up there. That was super cool. Uh, the patio is a, is a good one. You can hit us on Twitter too. Just use the hashtag Len Asks. I've seen a really, I mean, quite frankly, they're, they're making me jealous. I I love being here at Guaranteed Rate Field for work. There's I, I, there's no two ways around it. But everybody's tweeting their photos of these immaculate patios with lights strung up above them and, you know, grills and pitchers and stuff. It looks great. That's where a couple of you have uh, or have your favorite place to listen to White Sox baseball on the radio. Of course, we love having you here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. My, I told you mine earlier in the broadcast. I've always been a, a grill guy, you know, outside in the backyard, got the grill going. A beverage out there as well. It's that's to me. That's what it is. It's it's an experience. You've got friends around, and the game can be both entertainment and background and touchstone all at the same time. It's a cool thing about this sport of baseball that it gets to be all things uh, in that moment, in that in that afternoon or in that evening, as it were. When we come back, uh, I mentioned before we get out of here and get you to the pregame show coming up at seven thirty that. Over the last month here on White Sox Weekly, we've been taking a tour around the AL Central. We spoke with Rex Hudler 
about the Royals. We spoke with Tom Hamilton about Cleveland. We spoke with Matt Shepard about the Tigers. And we spoke with Corey Provis about the Twins. And it was a good conversation, all of them. You can use the ESPN Chicago app to go back and listen to those podcasts. You know, just get a refresh if you want about some of the White Sox opponents this year or the division opponents this year. And at the end of each interview, I asked what they thought about the White Sox. Well, we've summed that up for you in a little bit of a highlight reel, and we'll play it before we leave here. Uh, a couple other things to wrap up here on the broadcast as well. 312-332-3776. A couple more minutes if you want to chime in on where your favorite location is to listen to baseball on the radio. Uh, we talked with Jason Benetti earlier. He mentioned that his favorite spot is driving in the car when he's headed to the ballpark or other places. He's always got a baseball on, or so he says. Uh, more White Sox Weekly when we return This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Connor McKnight. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. We do it every Saturday, two hours leading up to the pregame show here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Uh, tell me if this is a situation you've been in during the pandemic. You know, everybody's got to, uh, everybody's working from home, everybody's in constant Zoom meetings, and there you are just trying to get your job done, and the dog runs up and jumps into your lap while you're on an important Zoom. Maybe you're, like, even wearing the suit and trying to show out for your boss or something like that, and then there's the dog. Because the dog doesn't know that your meeting's important, and it, and it doesn't care one way or the other. It just wants some some chimkin or, or like a kibble or something like that. This happened in a pregame Zoom with White Sox closer Liam Hendricks just uh, about an hour and a half ago. One of the reporters, uh, I believe from the AP, had his dog as the, the profile picture. You know what I'm talking about? And and Liam caught that the dog was the profile photo and asked the question. Well, you'll, you'll hear it play out here. Here's Liam Hendricks on a pregame Zoom. Anything else, Liam? By the way, who's Joe Reedy? Because I, I I want his puppy. Anybody else see that one? Okay. Hi, Joe. How you doing? Um, yeah, I'm gonna need to meet that dog at some point during the course of the year, right? Hold on, Liam. Oh, look. What's her name? Libby. Libby. Hi, Libby. How you doing, sweetie? You good? Bark twice if he's mistreating you. <laughs> then you can come live with me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. This is a funny moment for the two of them. I'm I'm terrible at dog breeds. I, I couldn't name them for you, even if they were. Libby was a very, very cute, tiny little dog. Uh, apparently, and I haven't heard this yet because we were doing the show while Tony La Russa was talking, but apparently White Sox manager Tony La Russa met Libby as well. Can I ask you a question, Joe? What's, what's the dog's name? Uh, Libby. Libby? Yeah. Sweetheart. Both, both of them rescues. Nice going. Awesome stuff. I, I would imagine... That, well, I, I would imagine this sets off a chain reaction where baseball reporters everywhere are setting their dog as the profile photo so that they can get them on. Well, let's be honest, so they can get them here on White Sox Weekly and we can all talk about the, the cute dog. Um, news and notes. Want to wrap up a couple of things. You'll hear some more about this in the pregame show. Ty Buttry, Angels reliever, has announced he's leaving baseball. He's 28 years old and is walking away from the game. We'll explain more in the pregame show in just about 10 minutes. Some injury notes as well. Key Brian Hayes 
left the game uh, against the, of course, the Pirates young man who is a rookie of the year conversation, a really talented third baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were playing the Cubs. Cubs won 5-1, to one, but Key Brian Hayes left the game with some left wrist discomfort. He's getting that checked out. No word on his availability for tomorrow yet. And the Twins announced today that Josh Donaldson is going to hit the 10-day injured list. He has a hamstring strain that's going to lay him up for at least 10 days. Uh, Brent Rooker was recalled from the taxi squad uh, in order to fill in. The Twins are playing the Brewers in Milwaukee. Donaldson was going around first base after a after a base a double rather uh and and came up injured with that hamstring pull so yet another injury for a very good ball player in Josh Donaldson but man between the calf injuries and the hamstring uh that's going to be tough for the twins they've done it without him before or without a lot of Josh Donaldson before it's a heck of a lineup but no Josh Donaldson for 162 or at least for a, a little while here 10 day injured list for him that's a blow to that twins offense. Uh, speaking of other teams in the AL Central, we played this right at the top of the show before we talked to Rick Hahn. And again, if you've missed any of White Sox Weekly, just go download the ESPN Chicago app. It's right there for you. Not only will it just start playing the station when you pull it up, it works and everything. Scroll down to the baseball page and you can download all the White Sox weekly shows from the last month or so. You can check out all the interviews. Uh, Rick Hahn and I spent some time talking about this White Sox team earlier in the afternoon. Uh, really good talk with Rick. He kind of pointed out some growth issues or growth uh, spurts, I guess, from some of the young players. We talked a lot about your mean Mercedes as well. For the past month... We've been talking about the AL Central and the matchups that the White Sox are going to face. We talked with Rex Hugler, Tom Hamilton, Matt Shepard, Corey Provis about what they thought, not only about their own clubs, but about the White Sox as well. Our producer, Tyler Aki, put together a supercut of what they said about this White Sox team. There's a little frosting on it as well. I hope you enjoy. Tonight, the Chicago White Sox open their 121st season in the American League. It is opening night 21 from Angel Stadium. We figured we'd call Tim Kirchin of ESPN. Well, they're the best team in the Central, and they're going to the playoffs. I'm pretty sure about that. Abreu with a drive out the other way. It is back, and it is gone! That's a grand slam! There is no better man to talk to about the Kansas City Royals than Rex Hudler. The White Sox look like a perennial contender. A lot like the New York Yankees. The sky's the limit. If they stay healthy, they are going to be dominant. Long run over for Moncada, and he's got it on top of the tarp. Tom Hamilton, longtime play-by-play man for Cleveland Indians Radio. I wish it wasn't as good a team as it is. They have some really bright young stars. We all know that. Anderson with a fly ball, deep right center on the track as Trotty leaps. It's a home run. Matt Shepard, Paul's games for the Tigers on Fox Sports Detroit. He joins us now. I don't see a weak spot really on their team. I really like their starting pitching. 3-2 to Trout. Swing and a miss. He got him. Corey Provis is our guest to preview those Minnesota Twins. They look like a World Series contender. I mean, they look like an awesome team. You kind of feel things change, and then you can feel the fans getting excited. The goal is to win a World Series championship. And so if we fall short of that, it would be a disappointment. 
That's the cut of the week here on White Sox Weekly. Sox and Angels coming up soon. The pregame starts in just a few moments, uh, 7.30. we got an 8.07 first pitch. Alex Cobb starts for the Angels. Lance Lynn goes for the White Sox. I'm Connor McKnight. Thanks so much to our guests, Rick Hahn and Jason Benetti. Thanks mostly to you for calling, listening, and tweeting at us. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to talking with you again next week on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. The pregame show is on the way. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.